0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related, from interviews, reviews, top ten lists, and of course, everything in between. Go check them out whenever you get a chance. I want to apologize for last week. I was going to do an episode, but then I was like, you know what, it's Easter, I got some shit going on, I was kind of tired, and I just made excuses and never actually did it, so I just enjoyed the Easter weekend, and decided, you know what, let's just come back this week with another episode. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about one that's a little close to home for me, actually. It's another true crime thing, if you want to call it that. It's a solved case, so we know what happened, we know why he did it, we know who he did it to, and we know all the details. So this may not be super long, there may not be a lot of speculation, but we're going to get into it anyway This is about a man called George Arseniadis. At least I think I'm saying that right. It's a Greek last name. Sometimes I mispronounce these things. We all know this. If you've listened for any amount of time, you know I can't pronounce names. For the life of me. This took place not too long ago either, in 2005, in Oakville, which is just a little bit west of Toronto. So what happened? Who did he kill? Did he kill anybody? Well, let's just get into the nitty-gritty details right now. Omitous. Omitous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone sort of breathing. Omitous. As I said, this took place back in 2005, summer of 2005, and to be exact, Canada Day. So July 1st, 2005, in Oakville, George and his sister Helen moved into a new condominium near Trafalgar Road in Oakville. And I know the area, and I think maybe I might have even looked at a unit within this condo maybe a few years after this took place. Although I didn't know about it at the time. If it wasn't that condo, it wasn't very, very close. Anyway, he and his sister moved in. They decided, you know what, it's cheaper to just buy a place together, so let's do that. And then a few days later, after they moved in and got all settled, neighbors started complaining of a smell. That's never a good sign. So this foul smell started to emanate from the newly renovated condo just a few days after they moved in. Of course, after neighbors complained, George was confronted. And he said, well, you know what? I burned some hamburger meat the other day, and it's just kind of stinking up the air. I'm sorry, I'll do my best to get rid of it. And everybody seemed semi-satisfied with that answer. Mm, Well, except for the doctor, who originally smelled the odor. Now, a doctor who had worked with people both living and dying and people who have died was like, "Eh, that doesn't smell like burnt hamburger. I'm a human. I've smelled burnt hamburger and I smell dead bodies. This smells a little bit more like the latter. Eventually, the smell became unbearable. And again, once he was confronted about it, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, guess what? More burnt hamburger. He did it again. I'm so sorry, guys. Let's just move on from this. Can we please? I don't want you to look into it any further. So, a few days later, the smell goes away. However, a few days after that, the smell returns. And the retired doctor, on the same floor, filed a second complaint with the condo management, but there was nothing really ever done about it. So, what did the doctor do next? Well, after smelling the supposed burnt hamburger for a couple of days, he went to the police. Now, the doctor expressed his concerns that, from his medical experience, he was not convinced that the origin of the odor stemmed from burnt food in George's condo. And it's important to note here that the doctor had only seen George once or twice since his arrival, and oddly enough, he dragged a big suitcase down the hallway on one of the times that he had seen him. So, with some concern, the Oakville police went and checked on the condo. They observed george walk through the lobby carrying a takeout bag as they spoke to the condo manager when police provided george an explanation for their presence namely to ensure everything was copacetic in the condo george agreed to allow the officers into his residence and within minutes the officers made some very very troubling observations inside the condo that were just in plain view nothing was really hidden They weren't sure what it was, but they made the observation that heightened their concerns that something had gone wrong, something was just amiss, said Britton, who was a homicide detective. He went on to say that it caused them great concern for the well-being of an unknown person, and that something heinous had potentially occurred in the unit. The officers placed George in a sort of investigative detention and brought him to the Oakville Police Station to notify the homicide team. Now, Britton, the guy we mentioned earlier, was the detective who conducted the very first interview with George Arsene Britton said, quote, he had very little to say, but that didn't necessarily alleviate the concerns that something wrong had happened. The way he behaved and some of his answers were a bit troubling to me. At this point, police didn't have reasonable or probable grounds to re-enter the condo, and until investigators revisited the original complaint by the retired doctor, Nothing much could be done. The key was the doctor, said Britton. The retired physician confirmed he had encountered many dead bodies over his career and could tell the difference between a dead body and roadkill. Or, I guess, burnt hamburger meat for this purpose. The doctor was indeed fairly certain that the foul odor billowing out of George's condo did not resemble the smell of burnt hamburger meat. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a bit of a difference. Now, I don't know if you've ever smelled a dead thing. It does not smell good. Now, I've never smelled a dead body, a human body per se, but I remember a few years ago, by a few years ago, I mean like a decade ago, maybe even longer, I was walking in the woods behind my house and I smelled this terrible, terrible smell. And while I had never smelled anything dead before, I instantly knew something had died. It just hit you, there's some sort of human reflex that goes... Something died here, maybe it's a dangerous situation, maybe you should leave. And sure enough, there was a dead raccoon not far from where I was walking. And it was covered in maggots and just all sorts of bugs and grossness. It was disgusting. It was terrible. And that smell lingers. Whenever I smell anything remotely close to that, I'm like, uh, something died. And I've come across other roadkill in my time, so I mean, I kind of know that smell now. And it doesn't smell apparently like a human body. So with that, the police had a warrant. The identification team entered the sealed-off condo, and within minutes of their cursory search, horrific evidence was discovered inside. Evidence that immediately confirmed a sinister and nefarious set of circumstances had occurred there. Britton went on to say the identification team discovered some body parts in the freezer. There were other body parts wrapped in cellophane in the fridge, including a human head. So now we're getting shades of Ed Gein or Jeffrey Dahmer, or any of the great cannibals from history, and I say great with a very big asterisk. Now, the gruesome discovery and evidence were relayed back to the homicide team at the Oakville Station. And once they found that out, George was officially and formally arrested. You may have guessed it by now, but the victim was indeed George's sister, Helen. Helen. After being charged with murder, George sat in a jail cell for some years before he faced an Ontario judge and jury in a trial in October of 2007. The evidence presented at the trial was gruesome and graphic as you would expect in a case like this. As reported by the Toronto Star, the jury was presented with evidence from the Halton Crown Attorney Andrew Goodman that detailed how Helen's body was cut into pieces with her hands and head being severed and boiled to eliminate DNA and fingerprint evidence, which ultimately didn't work. Other evidence presented in court revealed George's nefarious post-offense behavior, including the alleged violent dismemberment of his sister's body with a hacksaw inside the condo before storing various body parts in his freezer. The court heard he disposed of Helen's torso down the garbage chute of his condo and later boarded a GO train headed to Toronto Park to dispose of the other bodily remains George carried in a duffel bag. Goodman told the court in the 2007 trial that he destroyed evidence to frustrate police in a deliberate planned, and calculated manner. However, Georgia's defense team had a counter-legal argument, self-defense. The defendant took the stand to testify in his own defense, which is obviously a very rare occurrence in homicide because you're just not a good liar. People can see through you. Look at any trial in history where the defendant took the stand. You can look back to Ted Bundy, where he was almost acquitted until he took the stand. Apparently, if you believe reports that he was very very close to being let go he won over the jury with his charm while just sitting there but as soon as he opened his mouth to relive those crimes everybody knew that he was guilty this was a very similar situation except george was probably never really close to being let go in the first place in the end the jury found george guilty of manslaughter he told the milton court in 2007 that he was sorry and he never meant for it to happen with four and a half years already served arson ideas was sentenced to an additional two years less a day in provincial jail. Now, it was one of the most unique and bizarre cases ever tried in Ontario, remarked the Crown Attorney back in 2007. And it was definitely one of the worst cases Britain had ever worked on as well, as he went on to say. The most wild thing about this entire situation is that George was released in 2009. Nobody knows currently where he is, but the Canadian justice system does have a little bit of work to do I don't know how they found him guilty of just manslaughter. Usually, when you dismember a body, there are other factors at play. That's a very personal thing. He could have just disposed of the body complete. He could have went to a river, dumped it in, and been done with it. It probably still would have gotten back to him, but he wouldn't have had to take the time to dismember the body. Now, maybe he saw it in a movie, or maybe he read it online. However, the disturbing fact remains that he spent the time to dismember His sister's corpse. Not only is that manslaughter, at a bare minimum, there's defilement of a corpse. There's a whole slew of other charges that he could have been laid with, but he wasn't. Simple manslaughter. Not first degree, not second degree. Manslaughter. In the eyes of the law, that is almost like an accident. How you accidentally chop somebody into pieces, I don't know. Now, of course, it's obviously a little bit higher graded than an accident, but it's the lowest murder charge a man can get. A case like this harkens back to the early 90s with Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, who are maybe the two most famous Canadian serial killers and rapists in history, and it's hard to look past the similarities. During the trial, it was found that Homolka had a lot to do with the murders, more than she just originally said, you know, I was kind of along for the ride, Paul made me do it, blah, 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 blah. But videotapes and video evidence later prove that to be incorrect, yet she's out there somewhere living her life to the fullest extent. Last I heard, she was actually working with children, but that was a long time ago, and I don't know if that's still true, and like George, nobody really knows her whereabouts to this day. She changed her name, and then that was it. George most likely changed his name as well, and is living his life to his fullest extent, and that is somewhat disturbing. So while Paul Bernardo, yes, it's behind bars for the rest of his life, George Arsene Diaz Is out free to roam around, to do whatever he wants, to kill whomever he wants. Now, some can argue that, yeah, he paid his time, he did his service, and he did his duty in prison, and now he can do what he wants because that's how the justice system works. Well, maybe it's time we look at how cases are tried and people are found guilty. Just the defilement alone, I think, is worth a lifetime in jail. But what do I know? I'm just a podcaster in Canada. So, this is, like I said, a little bit closer to home. This dude could be my neighbor. Who knows? Who knows? But with all that said, I told you this would probably be a little bit of a shorter one. All the details were there. There was no mystery. There was no major investigation. It was just foul smell led to a body being discovered in many pieces in a condo in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. But that's going to do it for me this week. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. If you do so, please let me know and I will definitely give you a shout-out on the show. You can still do the same thing on Apple iTunes, or podcasts, or whatever it's called nowadays. And again, any five-star ratings will be read out on the show, so that's awesome. Don't forget to check out my Patreon and social medias as well. All the links will be in the description. So, until next time.